This is Linux at Work, Episode D, for the 6th of February, 2021. Welcome. I am your host, Ben Vasharan, along with my co-host, Chester Wisniewski. Hi, Chester. Hey, Ben. Good to hear from you again. Uh, and, and we've decided, uh, as we're getting back in the swing of things here with the podcast, to alternate weeks for now between news items and mini-reviews. And so the topic for this week is Home Assistant. Uh, which is a, a home uh, uh, smart home management platform that you can tie in all kinds of different things and write integrations and rules and much more flexible without having to revert to third-party things, I guess. And that's kind of what we're going to talk through. Now, I realized when we started this podcast, we promised it was going to be about things that use Linux at work. However, uh, work seems to have come into our homes, whether we wanted it to or not. And so certainly for the last 11 months, uh, my work has been in this home. And so I've been actually using Home Assistant for the last few months uh, for some home automation things, some related to work, some not. And I thought we would uh, give it a little, a little bit of a poke and share our, uh, our results with people. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot to like. Like, there are a lot of different open source Home Connect kind of tools out there. And we say home, but I don't know about you, Chet. I found with Home Assistant, it was, it's so open, you could automate pretty much anything in your home or office with it. Uh, like, if I was to, to found a business and have a small office, I would definitely bring Home Assistant, uh, into that environment to, to automate the little things. Yeah, I think it would be incredibly useful in a small office, especially. I mean, I guess any kind of size thing, but, uh, you know, there's things you have to do at the beginning of the day and the end of the day that can be automated. And it doesn't mean you have to buy a, a smart coffee maker, right? But you you need to turn the lights on, you need to adjust the heat, and you may want to do that 20 minutes before your employees show up or, you know, all these different kinds of things. Uh, it's quite convenient and there's really no reason it couldn't control uh, or be informed by sensors in a more office industrial environment uh, rather than um, bits and pieces that you you buy in your home. And, you know, what I've looked at some things in the past, so I have uh, a few things. So I'll start there. Uh, before I started this project, I already had some smart things and I recognize some of the shortcomings of these things. So I, I have a weather station. So I have like an outdoor webcam uh, instead of wind, uh, rain and temperature sensors. I have all almost entirely smart light switches in my house, so I do not have smart light bulbs. I went for uh, Lutron's Cassetta system when I was doing my renovation, and I did not renovate the entire house, but I renovated everything except the washrooms. So when we uh, had that renovation done, I had all the Cassetta system smart switches put in, and I bought the Lutron hub that talks to those lights. So it has its own app. And it ties into things like Google Assist or, or Alexa or presumably Siri if I was a Mac person, which I'm not. I also have uh, some indoor air quality monitors set up in my house. Uh, in the summer here, similar to where you are in Australia, we're prone to have a lot of forest fires. And so I monitor the air uh, quite carefully to know when it's time to start closing the windows when the air becomes dangerous here during fire season. And as well in the wintertime, because my house is incredibly well insulated, my CO2 levels get very high. So I have some air monitors uh, at one end of the house and the other, just so that I can keep an eye on the quality of the air and determine whether I need to open a window or close a window and those types of things. And despite my better judgment, I do have some some Google smart things in the house that I ask to do kitchen timers or uh, you know, ask for that uh, trivia question when you're watching Jeopardy on television kind of thing. But all of them were disparate and disconnected and unable to 
cooperate before I started playing with Home Assistant. And the only way previously I could see to even interact with some of them and probably not all of them was like hokey, if this, then that scripts and stuff. And that wasn't good for you? You weren't a fan of it? (laughs) Well, not really. There's a whole bunch of failures, starting with the fact that all this crap's in the cloud. And so as soon as the internet goes down, goodbye being able to do anything. And, you know, it's not, I mean, I don't have to talk to my light switch when the when the power's out, because turns out there's no power, so I don't have a lights, any lights to turn on or off. But certainly the internet is not always 100% reliable. And in fact, we've seen, um, gosh, during the pandemic, well, we've seen Google have a major outage. We saw Amazon have a major outage. Something that relies on the cloud uh, may not be reliable at all, even though your internet and electrical supply is perfectly stable. Yeah, no, I totally agree. See, I, I went through the home assistant path. Um, I haven't in my current home, but I, I do actually plan to. But I was living previously in a neighborhood with one of the highest crime rates in, in Melbourne, Australia, and I was traveling a lot. So I had, you know, my, my wife and kids home without me, and there was just always a bit of a concern. Uh, so I had some terrible D-Link cameras there, um, but I was also renting at the time, and I, I needed something that I could fit and have running in my home without physically or permanently installing anything there. And that's why I went down the home assistant path. I also looked at um, tools like OpenHab, which were okay, but I really liked how home assistant would give me the ability to really design a system however I want. So I went onto a popular uh, Chinese shopping site called Banggood, very similar to AliExpress. I bought myself window sensors, motion sensors, and a few other bits and pieces uh, which were about 2 or $3 Australian each, so not expensive at all, very inexpensive. Uh, had them shipped to my house. Now, the cool thing is, um, is all of these cheap sensors that you see in any home alarm system anyway that are generally quite expensive all transmit on 433 megahertz. So while I was doing my exploration, I bought these cheap sensors. I then went out and um, bought a, what's called a Sonoff RF bridge, which connects to the wireless network and then has all of the sensors talk back to it, which would then feed Home Assistant. Now, there's a free and open source firmware called Tasmota, which can run on pretty much every smart device. So you might have a smart switch or a smart light globe. And generally, if you Google or DuckDuckGo, you know, Tasmota on this smart device, whatever you have, you can generally flash it and end up with this nice free and open source firmware on it, which is designed to then talk to an RF bridge, which then talks back to Home Assistant. Now, this is where I got really excited because I was able to come up with a a cheap tablet, an old Surface tablet that I had laying around that had my Home Assistant Lovelace dashboard there. And then from there, I was able to script out and plan exactly what would happen if a window opens when, say, the system's alarmed or, you know, if something's triggered, then start recording from my D-Link cameras. And Home Assistant let me feed all of these systems as well as my D-Link cameras into a central location and give me quite a sophisticated alarm system. And because Home Assistant is so open and you can do so much with it, I was able to have a trigger for SMSs. There's a Telegram plugin for it. Uh, so even when I was away from home, if an alarm tripped, I was able to get an alert from that system, quickly log in, check the cameras, see what's going on. My wife also had something she could use as well that was easy. It's going to bed um, system and the house was armed. And 
it was very little work considering what we were able to achieve and compare that to a commercial option it would have been very, very expensive. So let's talk about setup, because this is one of the areas that I think is, depending on your approach to how you deploy software, not great. So I generally run things on bare metal, and you and I have talked previously about Docker and other things, and uh, I'll come to that in a second. But I thought, hey, I'm going to try this. Uh, I had time coming into the uh, end of 2020. Uh, I had some time off work and I set this up in late November, early December on uh, my standard Arch Linux VM running on my ESX server that I have uh, in the closet here. And when I set that up, it was right after we uh, did the review of uh, uh, virtualization platforms here on the podcast. Uh, I thought, I'll just install it on this Linux box I've already got running. It's Arch. There's an AUR package for Home Assist checked the package, it looked reasonably solid, I installed it, and I was up and going in a few minutes. And I, I was quite impressed, you know, to your point about uh, hardware support. Uh, in my case, I can use that Cassetta bridge to talk to most of the things I have, and all the other things I have in here themselves are already on the Wi-Fi. So uh, within minutes, like, it had auto-detected most all of the things in my house, with the exception of things that require some sort of special authentication. So my Cassetta light bulb uh, or Cassetta uh, hub that talks to all the light switches and things, you need to generate a developer certificate and upload those certificates into Home Assistant so it can talk to the Lutron device. Uh, but then you're no longer reliant on the cloud, which I love because the device is in the house and the Home Assist talks directly to the device. So uh, skip forward three months and I went and did an update on my Arch system. Uh, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And there recently was a vulnerability in libgcrypt. And so libgcrypt got uh, bumped in version and Home Assist would not start. And then I started troubleshooting and looking into it. And I realized like, ah, there's like a compatibility issue here. Home Assist seems to rely on some deprecated, you know, version uh, of this library. And because I upgraded the library, it doesn't work. And the only way, you know, to work your way out, uh, out of that is to, to, to patch, you know, to get an updated version that's compatible with the newer version of the API. And so I went and started looking through tickets and I wasn't the only person who had discovered this problem. And the, the attitude of the developers, and granted that like, you know, I'm, I paid zero for the software at this point, but the attitude of developers was sort of like, well, it's a complicated problem and we're not gonna fix it, just do it a different way. And I'm going, oh, well, that's interesting because whatever platform you're on, this is going to be a problem for you at some point, right? Like it, it, it happens to be always, almost always Arch that's first because Arch, Hence, tend to be bleeding edge and break first. But, you know, Arch went to PHP 8 last week and I had to do some manual knitting to get my PHP 7 still set up to work for Nextcloud, for example. And as an Arch server administrator, I'm used to that. It doesn't bother me. I know how to do it. But when it hits Arch, usually three or four months later, it hits Fedora. And within a year, it hits Ubuntu. So, you know, ignoring Arch people is fair. But on the other hand, you're setting yourself up for further failure, in my opinion, because this is not the only platform we're going to have this problem in. So the official answer from Home Assist people is, oh, uh, use our like Home Assist in a box. Like they've got their own distribution that you can pop on a Raspberry Pi and they maintain the operating system and the software. Which, again, to me as a security person starts to raise questions going, right, so they don't like updating libraries because it's inconvenient. How many vulnerable things are in this distro, right? Like, I haven't had a chance to look at it, so I can't answer that. But I'm a little concerned about, oh, use our operating system so we can keep it perpetually in the past because we don't like moving forward. 
is a little frightening to me. Uh, I compromised and tried their Docker container, which is the same idea, but you know, bundled for x86 in a Docker container and was up and running and with minimal hassle. And I solved my version problem because that's exactly one of the use cases for things like Docker. So, you know, point for Docker and it was up and easy going, but now I'm starting to pick through this going, how many other things are in this Docker that I would be normally uncomfortable to leave out of date on my actual deployed Linux server that I've kind of surrendered control over now and agreed that I'm just going to run it the way they want me to run it. It just didn't leave me with a great positive feeling. I mean, the, the, the ramp up speed was awesome. Like it's super easy to get it going with either the Docker or the uh, Pi image, but it does raise security concerns to me. And this has been one of the controversies over the project. Um, so the, the core developers have been there the whole time. Um, and a few different companies like Ubiquity, for example, uh, paid them for a couple of years. So bought them on as staff members with, and it was all about just supporting a home assistant and a big project. So I think it was, um, it, it became, you know, a good PR piece for uh, Ubiquity while they had them on staff. But uh, a few complaints that I've seen online recently is, you know, they want you to move to their home assistant as a service. Um, so these on-prem images aren't necessarily getting the feedback and they love the love that they deserve. But you are right. If you look at, say, the home assistant subreddit, um, here's me talking about Reddit again, uh, most people are running it from their Pi. Um, and it's just put the image on the Pi and it's installed on my network and I can forget about it. And that's how I started with Home Assistant. I had a spare Raspberry Pi, I spun it up, I really liked it, but I don't want to have anything that I'm going to use in production running on a Raspberry Pi, because I've also had a number of Raspberry Pis fail on me. So I went down the path of using the OVA for Home Assistant, and that's literally just, I think it's it's either Debian or Ubuntu with a few Docker containers running on it. So it still takes you down that um, container route if you use the official OVAs or virtual images, whatever you'd like to call them for Home Assistant. I've never gone bare metal myself uh, for the exact reasons that you uh, uh, outlined. <laughs> you don't want to come across any any library issues or you don't want to realize one day that you've done an update and all of a sudden your home automation's finished because, uh, you know, it gets to a point with these projects. Some people like to tinker, tinker, tinker. Um, and, you know, what? if I had a bachelor pad, I'd probably be the same, but I want it to be a reliable uh part of my home i don't want to have to have home assistant not working and say to the wife you know what you're going to have to turn on the light switch a certain way or there's no alarm system this week sweetie because i'm working on it that's not an acceptable solution yeah i'm worried about the long-term implications of all this because digging into some of those threads in their forums it became clear that this thing is a python house of cards there's like 2,000 interacting dependencies of python crap and that's the reason they don't want to upgrade certain uh, Python things, which is why they're reliant on old libraries, because they've found some way of keeping this card house from collapsing. And if they try to upgrade anything, uh-oh, it's all going to break. And I'm like, you know, how do you have hundreds, if not thousands of different Python things that are interdependent on one another being certain versions before this ends in tears? Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm loving it. I'm using it. I'm hoping that the maintenance uh, for the Docker container is maintained at a reasonable level so that like you, I just, I don't want to have to think about it. Like I currently have it set up so that uh, if the CO2 in the living room is over 1000 parts per million, turn the bathroom exhaust fan on 
when it reaches 800 parts per million, turn it off. And like, that's about the only automation I have at the moment. Uh, but that's, that's what I need, right? Uh, I could automate heat and other things like that. And I just haven't bothered cause I don't really have much of a need for that. I live in a very temperate climate and so it's never hot or cold here. And so, uh, you know, adjusting the temperature in my house is typically opening or closing a window. So, uh, you know, that's not something I can automate and uh, I could see in the future wanting to automate more if it is reliable, because I would like to get some smart shades, um, when it's sunny here in the summertime where my office is, the light comes in the window very bright, makes it very hard for me to see my computer screen, but it also heats the room up to about 35, 40 degrees. Uh, and with the shades closed, I can keep the temperature down in the, you know, 25, 26 degree range typically in the summer. Uh, so I don't really need aircon as long as I can keep those shades closed. So I would love to have a thing to go, you know, up until sunset, you know, have the shades down from, uh, uh, two hours after sun up to, you know, um, sun down and then put them back up again. Cause I have a beautiful view and I'd like to look out the windows at the snow covered mountains. And that, let's highlight that as a pro for home assistant as well. Like what you've just spoken about is you could have a temperature sensor in your home and you could write six lines in a YAML file to say, you know, when it gets to this temperature, this is the action to take. Put the blinds down. And it's very easy to do. It's very scalable and very open. Uh, and that's the win from Home Assistant's perspective, I think, is looking at these other tools that are out there, none of them have just got that flexibility, whereas Home Assistant lets you do what you need to do uh, very quick and very easily. Yeah, and I don't mind paying for things. I mean, they do have a paid cloud service that adds some enhancements and you can work around not paying for it by doing some uh, certificate manipulation. Because, uh, you know, they, if you want to have it, for example, talk to your Google Assistant devices, uh, you can do that through their subscription service. Or you can, if you're good with the cryptography and understand how certificates work and things, you can set it all up manually as well. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad they're still providing paths that are outside of their paid service. And in fact, even many things I'm using currently, I pay for even though I'm using the open source versions and don't need to pay because I want to support development of the platform. I love the fact that they're making it available to people. And uh, I just think it's the right thing to do. If I can't contribute code and time to help write better documentation or help improve the product, then the way I can contribute is to, to throw some cash their way and go do the thing I'm good at and make money so that I have extra cash to do that. Uh, so I, I think it's a well worth exploring as a platform, but there certainly does seem to be a level of, I, I'm not sure I would advise someone to build something this complicated on Python. And I'm hesitant to wonder where we're going to end up a year or two from now, if they're going to have to do a, a complete rebuild of the back end uh, into something that's more suited to this purpose. And if they do, whether they'll maintain making that available as open source or whether it's going to become a more and more closed project. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Final thought for me as well is the the Android and iOS app are also really great. So anything you can do from the Lovelace interface, you can do from your mobile interface as well, which was really nice traveling and not having to have you know, a web browser open all the time, getting notifications from the system, all of that I found really, really pleasant to use as well. But like you said, it's turned into a bit of a monolithic app, but as far as I'm concerned, the functionality for Home Assistant is better than anything else out there at the moment. So give it a look and let us know what you think. 
Yeah, and the hardware support is uh, astonishing and broad and broad, right? I mean, just the list of things. I was really surprised that you know my French weather station just showed up in it automatically and was like, "Oh, give us your API key so we can talk to it." And uh, if you buy anything that's HomeKit ready from Apple's ecosystem, it auto detects any HomeKit devices on your network and adds them for you. Uh, with no configuration necessary. Uh, and it's hard to justify often overpaying for something so it has a HomeKit label on the box. But the side benefit of HomeKit devices is they are far more secure by design. Um, as a, uh, Apple's program requires them to be designed to be secure. Uh, and the automatic recognition by things like Home Assistant is awesome because uh, you know, not everyone wants to go to AliExpress like you, Ben, and knit together some $4 cameras and $3 uh, Wi-Fi sensors and things. I mean, it's awesome that we can do that. But for a lot of people, they're more worried about security and ease of use, and they just don't want to be stuck in someone else's ecosystem, or they don't want to use the cloud. And this is a great fit, even for those people, people who aren't up to tinkering to the Ben Versharen level are still able to get a ton of use out of this very simply and easily and avoid being trapped in Apple's cloud or Google's cloud or Amazon's cloud, uh, keep the stuff in their own house and yet have that ease of configuration that you get when you spend a few bucks more that you get with a with an Apple branded or compatible device. Awesome. Well, on that note, I think we'll close out. So uh, this has been Linux at Work, episode D on Home Assistant. To contact us and stay in touch, please visit us at linuxatwork.org. Our podcasts are available there via RSS. They're on iTunes and Google Podcasts or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. We appreciate your feedback and ideas, so please share them with us. You can email us at hosts at linuxatwork.org, uh, on Twitter at linuxatwork, or chat with us on our subreddit on Reddit slash r slash linuxatwork. You got everything gonna be everyone gotta be everyone Don't say you got anything gotta be everything gonna be